Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 75 of Beer Another Shit, the podcast adjunct series. We are back again this evening, folks. We're doing something uh, that we haven't actually done before, and I'm super excited about it because we've dabbled in this theme on these adjunct series podcasts over the last 18 months, I guess, but we haven't had a whole pod just on this, and I have a ton of questions, and I think we're all going to learn a lot. Guys, please welcome Ted from Partake Brewing. There he is. How you doing, man? Thanks, thanks for having me on. Genuine great. pleasure. It's uh, yeah, I've heard of you guys. I've tried your stuff. I've seen what you've been doing in the market, and I'm uh, genuinely fascinated to learn a lot more about non-alcoholic beers. That's what I was alluding to before. Um, like I was saying, we've been we've we've talked about it, we've dabbled in it, talked about it a little bit. On the episodes, but I'm really excited to deep dive into this because uh, I feel like there's a lot more to it than maybe people think to make, you know, it's tough to make low ABV, B, ABV beers, let alone no alcohol beers, you know, and make them taste good and get people, you know, interested in that sort of health conscious approach to, uh, you know, balancing out your lifestyle. So super keen for that, man. Um, first things first, as always, shall we pop a beer? We're going to... Yes, let's do yes. it. Yes, gonna let's see if that's gonna focus. There we go. Obviously, we're gonna start uh, in the lighter end of the scale. This is your blunt. Um, do you have? Uh, is it like zero point zero five or straight zero? We uh, we usually put on the label in Canada zero point three and in the U.S. less than zero point five. So it, it ranges between okay. those two uh, those two numbers. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Tell us about uh, about this beer, and then we'll we'll get into the. Uh, We'll deep dive into the whole the whole brewery. So obviously the blonde, you know, this is the crusher. This is probably like one of them. You know, the, was this the first one that you did? Yeah. No, this was this was actually the third one. We we okay. led off with we 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 said, hey, no one's done this before. No one's made craft non-alf. We're kind of the first ones into it. Let's just start with the hardest thing. And we started with the IPA, and we said if we could make that, we could make any other style we wanted. So. IPA was first. This was our third. Our second was the pale, and we'll get to those those later. But uh, this is definitely my summer crusher. Um, some of your fans may uh, may may not like this, but I I enjoy a, a fresh lime squeezed into it and on a hot <laughs> summer day, and that's uh, that's how I get through uh, you know twelve to eighteen of these over uh, twenty four hours and in some in some of those blistering days. Yeah, I mean I can see why. Nothing wrong with a bit of Mexican lager. Cheers, man. Mm. Cheers. Nice. So it's it's got a, a decent malt, sort of like a, a crisp, uh, crackery kind of character to it. Um, super light. The way I, I used to not, okay, to be transparent, I did try, and now when you're saying this is a third, that makes sense. I was given, my brother also was involved in this, and he was working for a brewery in Toronto, and he went to the festivals, and he was given the pale ale and the IPA, so he gave those to me. And this was maybe two, three years ago. And I didn't have any understanding of non-alcoholic beer. Like I didn't really, I just thought the whole idea was like, why, who cares? Even low ABV beers, I just didn't understand it. And I tried it and I remember not really enjoying it. But over the last 18 months, I have this whole new appreciation 
for uh, non-alcoholic beers and they genuinely enjoy them. Like I really, really do. So now I feel like if I tried this a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got it. Now I get it and I haven't had the blonde. So this is really nice, man. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely along the pills, you know, like I know it's a blonde blonde and it's not lager necessarily, but it definitely shares a lot in common with the, uh, you know, with the crispy boy as, as we call him. It's fantastic. Yeah, for us, it was it was one of those middle of the road beers. It's easy to drink. It, you know, just refreshing. Gives you the beer taste, and you know something we're particularly particularly proud of is, you know, across the board for our beers, they're all super low in calories. The the blonde itself is oh. fifteen. You know, that's why wow. I can crush eighteen and eighteen in a day and feel <laughs> feel like okay, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not indulging too much. That's but, amazing. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's something pretty pretty remarkable about our beers in particular that is i definitely we definitely need to talk about that because i don't really recall many if any uh like non-alcoholic beers at, at that lower of a range like that's insane to have this much flavor with that little uh lower calories so with that said let's let's get into the deal um let's get your history first of all man like what's you know how did you get interested in beer and, and, and how did you sort of discover craft beer yeah, so I started getting into into the craft beer movement uh, probably around you know 2000, 2005. Uh, I was living in Toronto at the time. You know, it seemed like there was just a a new brewery opening opening up every month, and then it seemed like every week yeah. after a few years, and it was really a, a vibrant and interesting place to be. Um, enjoyed the fl- all the flavors, all the new styles, who's coming out with what you know, those new releases, getting on the, the email list for the new releases from the breweries. And, and you know, that was fun. It was, it was creative. It was, there was a lot of exploration. It was, uh, it was a very interesting and vibrant community. And um, unfortunately for me, around uh, in 2005, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, mm. And that was sort of like the first, first shoe to drop. And then I, st- I really started to have some complications due to that closer to 2010 and uh, ended up in the hospital, had to have some surgeries. And, um, you know, it was a bit of a reckoning in a, a period for me where I had to kind of really reevaluate a lot of health and wellness decisions I was making in my life and drinking alcohol, you know, became part of that decision-making process. And I said, Hey, I got to eat healthier. I got to eat cleaner. Um, but in parallel to that, I got to drink better and, and giving up alcohol was something that I wanted to aspire to. And I knew it was going to be hard because I love craft beer. And, and so I started looking into the non-alc side of things. And at that time, I think that was around between 2010 and 2012 that I was really starting to make that effort to, to change. Um, there just wasn't the product on the shelf that kept me interested, kept me motivated to, to stay on that path. And so that was sort of the, the seed that p- was planted for Partake Brewing, which was, you know, I had this own, my own health issue my own reason for having to move away from alcohol, but still wanting to enjoy craft beer and, and all the things that came with it. And, um, you know, no one had, had tackled that in the marketplace. And I said, why not me? I love it. I think some of the best, uh, businesses in the world, are, are when the entrepreneur solves a problem that they have themselves and, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. So then how did the actual brewery, like, begin and when what was the timeline when you actually were like all right i'm doing this yeah so i I started in 2013 and it was um 
you know, I went through some ideation and said, okay, do I know how to brew beer particularly well? No, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> um, do I know? Do I know how to bring a product to market to to retail? Not really. So, you know, the thing I knew how to do is like, can I figure out how to operate a website and sell beer online and figure out how to import things? I said, yeah, I think I can do that. Let's 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 start there. And so I started a website in 2013 called premiumnearbeer.com and uh, started importing some products from Europe or, or sourcing some product that were, you know, already available in Toronto, but they were hard to find. Like you could go to, you had to go to Oakville to buy one product and had to go to Markham to buy mm. something else. And you had to go to Little Portugal to buy something else. And I said, like, this is not sustainable with Toronto traffic. You know, there's <laughs> no, got to no. be a way to buy it online. And there wasn't. So it was in some ways it was just making it easy for people to get some of these products that were available locally, but were just hard to find, unique. And that proliferated into, um, you know, we ended up going into non-alk wine and non-alk cider and non-alk spirits way before everyone out, anyone else started going into that space. And I think the thing I realized was I was building a community of like-minded people, people who had similar stories to me. You know, we had uh, one one person sent us a note saying, hey, my husband was just diagnosed with cancer. He's coming home with this new diagnosis, but he's like, he's already planned to have his buddies over for, for the weekend for a big barbecue. And like, this is like, it's devastating enough, this diagnosis, but not being able to drink with his buddies is going to be like this, you know, salt in the wound type of thing. And the fact that she found this beer for him and we could help him, you know, just make a very difficult situation, maybe just a little bit better. Um, it was those types of stories that really helped motivate me to keep going because it was tough in those early years, like it, like yeah. it is with any business. Um, but I realized I was building a community, and the community supported me um, in kind, and and you know kept me going to the eventual point where they started saying to me, "Hey, can you get craft non-alk beer?" And I couldn't source it. Still, like we were way ahead of our time. And no one would partner with me, so I decided, hey, maybe now is the time to tackle it. I at least have a channel to sell the product through, and, a, and an audience that wants it. Mm. Let's let's tackle it. So we we started that in earnest in 2016 and launched our first product, which was the IPA, in in 2017. Amazing. So then, what were the products that you actually were able to import and source? Like for reference, you know, obviously now it feels like you know there's a ton of different options out there, but back then, and you're so right. Like I I don't. I couldn't think of a single, as you're sort of talking, I was like, I got into Canadian craft beer in early 2011. So I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't even think at all of any single brand whatsoever. So I imagine it was probably like what, like the, the Europeans, I think had a bunch of different ones. Like, um, I don't know if, um, like probably like the Heineken ones and all those type of things, but like, what, what sort of products were available then? Yeah, so like Heineken and Budweiser, they were they were in the non-alcoholic market. They didn't have their products that they do today. So there wasn't Heineken Zero Zero, there wasn't Bud Zero, but they had all these other brands that had non-alc, and they didn't really care about the category at that point. It was a it was a second, you know, it was an afterthought for them at best. Um, you know, most of the product we imported was from was from Germany, um, with some from the Netherlands and some from Portugal. So those were kind of like the three main countries that we imported from and um you know we there were some some fairly established brands uh Erding, erdinger would be one Kronbacher another um you know uh superbach uh sagris um you know a handful of brands that people would know from the alcoholic side 
Um, they made non-alcoholic products, and they were they were better than what was certainly available at retail in the Canadian context. I think at that time the the retail shelf was XL, Oduels, yeah. and store brands, and that was you know that was the extent of what you could buy at major Canadian grocery chains. So it wasn't a very uh, sexy category at that <laughs> point. No, um, it's it's super interesting that it's become that, and I definitely want to touch on your thoughts as we sort of get down the line here about you know why it became so popular. But so coming back now, so it's uh, 2017, the first uh, the first pack, uh, the first product hit the hit the market. The um, how did you? Where did you brew? Did you do it yourself? Like, did you partner with like a contract brewer? Like, how did that uh, look? And I imagine this was all in Toronto and surrounds at the time. Yeah, so we we started with with pilot um, a pilot system with um, a local college that we we were able to get an NSERC grant because we were kind of first first into the space doing something new. Um, we were able to get some professionalism behind the brewing. It wasn't just uh, homebrew Ted that was uh, <laughs> producing this anymore. We were able to bring you know some expertise from Labatt's and Molson. Um, guys that were retired but you know had long 30 40 year careers with those companies in pretty pretty important positions so we were able to professionalize the recipe and the brew and the methodology um and then that really helped with our discussions with um with contract brewers and you know contract brewing still has some of its naysayers out there but oh, yeah. you know the business reality for me was you know it's hard enough you know for all the guys that have started breweries out there it's hard enough to finance a brewery that's alcoholic and everyone's like, okay, I understand this. I understand the market size. I understand, you know, people just understand that. Right. And they think, okay, this, this makes sense for me in 2017 or 2016 to say, I'm going to build, I'm going to take several million dollars and build a dedicated non-alcoholic brewery. And they're like, you know, they're all going to say, well, where's the market? I'm like, well, trust me, the market's going to develop. Like this, right. <laughs> that is just not a conversation that, that was destined to go anywhere. So we, we had to go contract brewing. That was really our only path forward. The fact that we professionalized our recipe and had some some people with some pretty big experience behind behind the process and the, the recipe was very important because we ended up working with a brewer that, you know, the 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 brewery's head brewer had been an understudy of one of the guys that worked on our team. So, you know, that that connection kind of helped give us some credibility to to partner with some some contract brewers. So that was. Uh, that was the early stages for us and it was it was it was difficult because we had no experience working with contract brewers and they had no experience working with a non-alcoholic beer company so there was a lot of a lot of test and learn in those early days for oh, sure. are you able to say which contracts which brewery you were contracting from uh no we don't uh we don't no, disclose that? that publicly but at this at, at this point in our evolution we we brew in toronto and also in calgary okay so so then you designed so a, a little of a little investigation project. I, project I'll right. leave it there for the, <laughs> yeah, a little project for your listeners. I love it. I know. I like that. Uh, the, the secret is there. Like it's uh, I, I think in some places they require, I think it's a state somewhere requires that you actually put where you brew on the label. Um, which should it make a difference? I mean, yes, you're a hundred percent right. Like obviously doing this, I talked to a lot of people and, uh, 
there's a lot. I'm, I own my own business, so I'm all for and I understand the business reality of the contract. I have no problem with it at all. There just seems to be a bunch of purists who kind of do, which is a shame, but then it seems to be mostly in Ontario. I feel like elsewhere, people don't care as much. It's just Ontario seem to really like have a be in their bonnet about contracting, but uh, it's a means to an end and it, and it works and there's been a lot of success stories. So um, the initial recipes though, so you designed those, you just figured out how to make non-alcoholic beers at home is that how it began yeah i I had the i had the um the benefit of having a a close friend who was was a you know an accomplished home brewer a lot more than me and the negotiation kind of went like this we were sitting at the bar one day and i said you know hey i you know you're doing great on home brewing would you consider helping me tackle non-alc beer and he said Okay, but here's here's the condition. The condition is you have to buy me beer from the LCB horror store to keep my you know keep my beer drinking habit alive while I'm working on this non alcoholic beer with you. So that was probably the best investment I ever made in this this business because I think it took us maybe six months to get something right. We threw a lot of batches down the sink down the, down the drain, but uh, you know I I had a bargain and uh, I kept him hydrated and he uh, he uh, really helped me develop develop the recipe in the process so i can't i can't certainly take uh individual credit for that it was uh, uh a multi-person effort and you know all the way since then it's been a team effort uh building building part of course i love it okay so then you launched in 2017 how was that how were you received at a time when once again even though that was only four years ago it was still pretty ahead of your time and how did you know uh, how were you, um, I guess you would have had to get it in the LCBO, beer store, supermarkets, all that type of stuff. Like what did that look like trying to convince them if they weren't already stuck in this type of uh, segment? Yeah, to give some, some historical context, uh, Budweiser launched their Prohibition brand, I think in, t- in 2016. And, you know, they put a lot of money behind it. They put it on Hockey Night in Canada. They, they bought oh, some wow. pretty high profile, high cost, uh, you know, marketing, marketing behind it. And so, you know, we, we were coming into market with a bit of a tailwind from a big player, um, really sort of saying to the broader market, to the mass market saying, Hey, there's, there's a new, there's a new version of non-alcoholic beer out there. And I don't necessarily think their product hit the mark, but it, it signaled that, Hey, the big guys are going to like, a concerted effort towards building non-alc and they see that as a as a, a longer term trend and that that certainly helped us um you know we we launched on kickstarter so we used a crowdfunding platform cool. to launch our product um and we were probably the first beer company ever in canada to launch online only so we had no bottle shop we had no you know brewery we had we had no retail channel it was all online and, you know, that was one of the benefits, the hidden benefits of non-alc was this um, ability to sell in multiple channels and sell around anyway. some of the big uh, gatekeepers. Mm. And so, you know, we sold, I think our goal was $10,000 of product um, to get the kind of, to get the product off the ground. We, we hit that goal within the first three hours of our campaign. Wow. And then we hit uh, thirty thousand by the by the end of the month. So it was it was a very successful campaign. Um, you know, the key to that was the fact that we did have this audience that 
um, was waiting to support me. And there were a lot of guys from like my online store earlier that said, you know what, I hate IPA, but I'm going to still buy it because I want to support you because you're going to down the road, you're going to make like a blonde or a pale ale or a, or a red or something that I do like. And I'm, I'm just going to support you because you're the only one kind of supporting me in mm. this, in this endeavor. So, you know, we got, uh, we, we had a lot of people that loved IPA, of course, but you know, we sell people who are like, I'm going to buy a couple hundred bucks from you because of the concept of what you're doing, not because of the, I necessarily like the product. So that was, that was extremely encouraging. And then, you know, early into, um, into 2018, the, the beer store brought on the Budweiser product and, um, ABI Labatt's is, is a part owner of the, the beer store. And I think there were some optics around, like, how do we make this a bit broader category than just the Budweiser product? So we were, we were the only game in town and we were able to get on beer store shelves that led to the LCBO saying, Oh, if the beer store has it, we should have it. And there's a bit of a snowball effect in retailers once you, uh, once you land in some of them. So hmm. that was a, uh, that was a fortunate uh, piece of time for us. That's awesome that uh, you had the built-in audience as well that, that uh, you know, helped you with the Kickstarter. I love that. I mean, that's like, I guess it was sort of the perfect way to launch a, a business like this. Like you've already found your tribe as such, and now you're able to sort of widen that scope a bit. Um, that's amazing, man. I love that. So obviously the, you know, the audience was probably significantly smaller, but they're probably more passionate being that they're, like you said, a lot of the people had similar health based reasons for going non-alcoholic, much different to what it is this year, maybe last year, which is kind of crazy. It was only four years ago. Um, did you, what was that the same story? So you had that from the website, which you obviously built up over a few years when you were in those retail channels and, and I imagine you probably did tastings and all those type of things, did you find those similar types of people or was it a whole different kind of bunch of individuals that perhaps you had found via your website? Yeah, the, the, the customer base has certainly evolved since I started. Like, I th you know, the way we talk about it internally as a team is it's, it was a category where you, you had to be, you were in it because you had to be in it. Right. And today it's more driven by people who choose to be in it and they choose to be in it for taste, health and wellness, mindfulness, um, you know, even pacing like people who, you know, you know, I, I, I see a lot of similarities between, you know, flexitarianism on like between meat and plant-based you know, I think you're seeing the same type of attitude towards alcohol of like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to have, you know, five or six beers with my friend and friends and half of them are going to be non-alcoholic and I'm going to be able to go home, have a good night's sleep, get up in the morning and, and just, you know, do my regular thing. And, you know, people are, I, I think, are coming around to, you know, the, the, the reason why a lot of us drink and enjoy drinking was because of who we were drinking with. And the liquid was great too, but that was a secondary factor. And so right. I think you can have both and still feel good and still ha hit your health and wellness goals. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of discovery around the enablement that non-elf provides in, in a lot of those situations and also unlocking some of those things you want to do that next early morning or the next day or, or in the longer term. I love that. That makes so much sense. I love that toll, that, that balance. I never really thought about that, like going out and kind of splitting the drinks, you know, go one, one, one. That's, that's really smart. Did you want to do the next one? 
just looking at the time. Sure. But uh, so what's your fancy? On my side, I'd probably go the red if I'm going to do the color wheel. Uh, on your side, though, which one? Do you mind grabbing it? Thank you, Ben. Um, do you know which one you feel like uh, rocking your side? I think that's one of the ones that you you don't have that I do. What makes? Yeah, sense? I'm going to go with the peach goes. The peach goes up. That sounds amazing. Um, so you started with the. Actually, we'll, we'll talk about the beers in a sec. Tell us about the Goza while you're pouring that first. So this is one of the newer products, right? Yeah, we launched this for um, for spring summer of this year, and it it did incredibly well. I bet Peach Goza cheers. non-alcoholic, dude. That's crazy. Yes, cheers. One moment. I'm a little behind you. Um, tell us about that one, because I imagine like that's a, a style that absolutely. Oh, look at that cool label, man. I love that. That uh, that's a style that you wouldn't even to your closer to your face a bit. There you go. You maybe want to go this one. Um, like that's a pretty interesting style. I would never have even thought about seeing anything remotely like that um, ever before. Like a peach goes on non-alcoholic beer. I mean, that's just like it's fun. It's exactly what you would experience with the alcoholic side of things, but. I mean, like, what's what's the how did that one come about? When most of the other ones, say at least the ones that I'm going to be having tonight, are what would be you know kind of be considered the traditional uh, beer styles type of thing. Where did how did the peach come out? Cheers, probably. Yeah, the the peach was you know I think there was some some feedback from our community, and again, like a lot of a lot of what I'm talking about here is the. You know the community and the, our closeness to that that community and our you know we listen to them we're connected to them through e-commerce in a you know in a very tight way like we don't like I said we don't have a tap room but we have like a virtual tap room right and we're able to get this feedback from customers and 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 then go and do something about it and when customers say hey it would be great if you guys had a sour beer and mm. so we looked at okay what styles of sour beer would we potentially do what can we technically make and then, you know, one thing we do with, with our e-commerce side of our business is we're able to put out, you know, we might do a, you know, a, a 20 hectoliter batch, which is, you know, I think it gets us 200 something cases of beer. And we'll go out to that, that, uh, you know, rabid fan base and say, hey, here's a, here's a prototype. It's not like, it's not market ready, but like, give us your feedback. Is it too sour? Is it not sour enough? Too much peach? Not enough peach? And so we're really active with our community that to involve them in the product development process and you know it keeps uh it keeps them feeling um and and it's true that they are kind of an extension of our team hmm. i love that that's genius that you really like it I, really the more you uh we're going through this story the more you sort of really realizing the the value of what you built with that built-in fan base it's just so important obviously it seems like it was continuing to be important even to this day um i love that man the red. Tell us about this one that I'm drinking here. Uh, looks like a traditional red. Great color. Had a great head on it. It's got. Um, I feel like it's. It's obviously you know they're not alcoholic, so it's a subtle version of the alcoholic uh, you know edition of, of a red. But it's definitely got those sort of toasty, toffee, caramel kind of malts in there. Nice and dry. It gives me everything I need. This one has 25 calories, so a little bit more I imagine because it's darker malts in there. Probably just ran, bumps it up a little. Um, Tell us about this one and when this one hit the market. Yeah, that's a more recent addition, and uh, you know, I, th I think we we've just kind of decided that we want to have 
a version of kind of the major styles. We don't need to get into like the, you know, we will have probably one sour, one red. We don't need to get into the, the subcategories within those. We can, we can stay as just, and I, I think that's, that's something we've done intentionally where we, we, we are very transparent with consumers about what we're trying to do at IPA. It's not, it's not a variant of an IPA. Um, it's just like, here's kind of a, a middle of the road IPA in non-alc. Here's a middle of the road red and non-alc and just trying to, you know, hit those seasonal notes for people that, that drink certain styles over across seasons. Um, you know, we, we like to be able to communicate with people as well to, to say, Hey, if you like this beer, then try, you know, our version of it in, in non-alc and, and being able to kind of match some, some major popular brands in various styles to our, back to our non-alc offering. So, Love you know, it. I think there's a, there's a bit more for us to do to kind of broaden that portfolio, but I think we're, we're, we're trying to be very direct in our communication, not make it too confusing for consumers by, by going into sub, uh, styles and, right. and really trying to kind of hit the, the mainstream in each, in each style from a non-alc perspective. I like that. It's sort of more like the gateway approach to it and sort of not trying to get too like craft beer nerdy as such. It's just like a, a smaller batch craft product, but without kind of the, the, the crazy beer in this way, you go into the subcategories. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so then you had the two beers, you had the pale, you had the IPA. Third beer was the blonde. Um, I guess obviously things are going well. You're getting the placements in the stores, the online store is doing great. Um, and then I guess you were, you did the five that I have, I think like the standard sort of flagships as such, or the year rounders. Is that accurate? Yeah, those, those are, are, our five main SKUs that are in, in, in retail. Like our number one seller is the pale ale and, and, um, you know, I'll go back to 2018. We, we ended up winning the world beer award for best non-alcoholic beer in the world Amazing. with that product, which had only been brought to market, you know, six, less than six months prior, um, really had almost no market penetration. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you're, this is the best in all of non-alcoholic beer in the world. And I think that, that opened, opened a few eyeballs. It opened ours for sure. of <laughs> like, That's wow, awesome. this is, this is pretty amazing. We're a product business and ours has been you know, just called best in the world. And, you know, that competition doesn't even consider like the calorie count, which I always tell people is like, we won the best in the world for taste. And then add on top of it, like our calorie count is a 10th of what most other people's are and kind of blows people's minds. So, you know, something we're very proud of and, you know, we continue to win, win awards at competitions. uh, And uh, yeah, so we, we like to think of ourselves as kind of the best, one of the best companies in the world from a taste perspective. And then as a bonus, you get it for, you know, 10 to 20 or 30 calories in a can. Love it. That's awesome, man. Um, so then the red and then the stout is what I was referring to on top of that. And then I guess as it, as it's sort of gone on, you started introducing the seasonals on, on a more rate, like recently, like maybe last year or something. Is that accurate? Yeah. So we, yeah. we introduced the, the Rattler earlier this year. We've got a special edition lime, beer out right now so uh it's so special edition that i don't even have any so <laughs> it's uh it's available through our online store but uh you know just had uh, had some feedback today on that you know lots of lots of great things being said about it so um yeah another 
another nice warm weather beer. We've got uh, we generally have snow at this time of year in Calgary, but yeah. this uh, yeah. this fall we've got some nice warm weather, so I could use a, a lime right you now. <laughs> That's amazing. And also to clarify for anyone who's sort of watching or listening. So your website, if people did want to purchase non-alcoholic beer, the law is, can you ship anywhere in Canada or is it anywhere in the world for the beers? Anywhere in Canada, anywhere in Canada and the U.S., including Alaska and Hawaii. Amazing. Okay. And that's just because there's no alcohol in it, so it doesn't get covered by those restrictions that prohibits shipping. Between. Yeah, there are a few states that are – blackout zones for us unfortunately with some of the the state rules but uh you know there's there's certainly a lot less of those than more so generally speaking we can ship across the u.s okay that's amazing so i mean like it's i think that definitely is is something that i only learned sort of recently knowing that when i've seen a few non-alcoholic brands talk about that i'm like oh wow you can actually get it everywhere i think mostly during the pandemic when all of a sudden everybody needed to convert to um, canned products when they hadn't always done that and you know the non-alcoholic brands were the only ones who were already able to kind of do it and take advantage immediately particularly on the or when the pendulum swung you know when everyone's locked at home like oh let's drink like crazy then they're like oh we're all getting fat now we need non-alcoholic and then it came back the other side um, which is super cool so on that note then the actual segment the market segment like you said before a lot of people were doing it for health reasons so in the last, I don't know, you probably better speak to it better than I can, but I would say two years maybe, I feel like it's kind of on this real steep incline as far as the popularity and the widespread. Also on top of that, not just non-alcoholic, but low ABV beer. Um, I started seeing here in Quebec, um, I feel like it was definitely ahead of the game as far as the um, low alcohol. The non-alcoholic stuff here hasn't really, I think it's caught on, but there isn't many local folks daughter which is great you are local as a Canadian company and you're able to ship everywhere but can you speak to sort of like how that trend became more popular over the last little bit and you know how you guys were positioned to be able to sort of be at the front of that wave yeah it's it's, it's kind of hard to say like what you know what uh, you know what's the chicken and the egg there was it you know in some ways was it companies like us creating products that people could really get behind. I think there was a, there was a pent up demand right. there that wasn't being met. And then, you know, when companies like us were kind of first to market here and kind of opened up that doorway uh, on the craft side. And then, you know, in parallel, you had uh, Budweiser and Heineken launching new versions of their product with large marketing budgets behind it. I think it was a combination of us small guys with really unique and exceptional products. And, and then, you know, being able to draft in a way off of you know this multi-million dollar budgets of heineken and budweiser going mass market saying hey you know take another look at this category there's something going on here and people being willing to you know give it another try and then in that process maybe they try partake which was sitting next to heineken and budweiser and saying oh this is uh this is something that i can get behind whether it was taste whether it was calories or whether it was a combination of those two all right is there was there other um, factors as far as like um, like I mentioned even the pandemic one I, that's what kind of I thought was a big push because I saw craft breweries who uh, you know make alcoholic beer um, a lot of breweries were sort of you know throwing out a, a, 
a non-alcoholic beer here and there or having one that's year-round or something like that because of the demand for it. So something definitely changed in the in what consumers want. And as well, that sort of push towards low ABV beers because I guess, once again, that pendulum swing back because the just like with IPAs, it was the bitterness and then it came to New England and then it all went about the juiciness and the haziness. Um, and also that came with that was a lot of the high ABV beers and that, you know, comes with 500 calories or whatever it is uh, a can and that, you know, adds up after a while. So it felt like maybe people wanted to be able to have more sessionable beers for those situations that you were describing earlier and, and I guess offset their larger drinking with the feeling of still drinking because you get that same satisfaction from opening a can, pouring into a beer glass. It looks, smells, tastes like beer, but it's not getting you drunk and the calories are next to nothing. Like, is there anything else you're thinking that really sort of made it get to the level that it it has now? Yeah, I I think, you know, you're you're certainly seeing health and wellness as a, as a, a broad, trend across multiple industries but food and beverage in in particular and um you know i i think you're also you know we're, we're seeing from you know younger generations um gen z millennials just having you know less less of that connection and, and maybe it's a push back against some of that long-standing messaging from the alcohol industry that you know you have to drink to have fun to be included to be cool I think there's a bit of a rejection of that that messaging and, and people sort of saying, hey, I'm going to chart my own, own course and make make my own decisions and get access to the information that's, you know, readily available on, you know, you know, what are what are healthy levels of of drinking and what's 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 a healthy relationship with alcohol for for me as an individual and and people being able to chart their own course and having options to do that in a way that you know, that, that allows them to maintain that social connection and going to the bar and all the great things that, that drinking does. And, you know, those things have become even more important during the pandemic of like, well, yeah, that that's the social aspect. Drinking brings people together and socializes them and creates healthy mental state and healthy relationships. Those things are great. Um, but there's a health cost to, to drinking high levels of alcohol. And so people want the good part of that and maybe cut down a little bit on the bad part of it. That's a great answer. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that for sure. I found, and I'm not sure if you've seen this, being that this, you know we have this beer podcast and prior to, you know, in the before times we were traveling a lot and I didn't have like a drinking schedule. I would just really drink uh, because I had to produce content. So I would have to be forced. I never drank like this before. I was not a big drinker. And then this beer thing came along and all of a sudden I found myself drinking more. And I would kind of drink until I thought, I was like, well, if I drink tonight, I might get a cold. I kind of feel it coming on. So then I'd stop for a night or two. Uh, then sometimes I'd mess up and get a cold. Then I'd be sick for a week and then sort of not drink for a week and a half, two weeks, and then back at it. And that was starting to really annoy me. So I got sick at the very start of the pandemic. And then after that, I made a schedule four nights a week and sort of split up. Tonight is actually an off night, I was saying, uh, before we started. So this is, couldn't be more perfect. And uh, I found that the non-alcoholic beers initially, because I was so used to, um, you know, having to drink all the time, like actually having to drink. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to just pour it in a glass and take a picture and throw it down the drain. I go to be on camera doing things. So I'm like, I have to, you know, I need to be drinking. But the non-alcoholic beers scratch that itch of 
drinking that I, and, and I completely feel satisfied. Like if I don't have to drink, it's not on my mind. Cause you know, sometimes I'm not sure, I guess it's been a while since you probably had to drink, but maybe other f- folks watching or listening could understand. Sometimes like, Oh, it's a night off and you just keep thinking, Oh, well, I wouldn't mind drink tonight. Like, uh, and, and this really hits that spot in a way I never thought it could. And I, I never, never really gave it the opportunity until the pandemic to do that. And I'm like, God damn it, this is amazing. So I'd be really impressed with that. So I wonder if that's maybe other people have had that circumstance as well. And it just sort of helped them balance, just, just real genuine balance, which is something that we're really uh, big on here. Like you said, health and wellness, but a genuine, just like, you know, I was going to say work loud, you know, like, balance between, you know, your diet, so your diet and the alcohol consumption and just sort of keep things in order a bit and, and get rid of any urges with basically no impact. It's, it's one, only a tiny step above fizzy water, really, for those 10, 15, I think this is 20 calories, 25 calories. It's nothing. Like a, a cookie's significantly above that, you know? So like I, I found that was a real helpful thing. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that at all. Yeah, well, just on, on the calorie side, like our our team kind of jokes that you know, it, you know, in our lower calorie ones, the ones that are ten or ten or fifteen, the team jokes like just the act of drinking the beer will burn more calories than <laughs> are in the beer, and it's it's kind of its own so it's kind of its own weight loss program. But uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, we have a good laugh on on that one. But um, yeah, I, I think you know balance is great. Like for me, um, you know, I, I don't miss it anymore because I, I have a great alternative. And I think, I think that's part of the story is that the products now are so good. And, you know, we're, we're one of several companies making very top notch quality, not out beer that, you know, someone like you who, who drinks uh, craft beer much more regularly than I do, or it's, it's their, their, their main thing can have a night off and drink a non-out beer and say, Hey, that was, that was just good beer. Yeah. Like I know it's different. It's different because it's not an out, but it's still good beer. And I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. And you can have that same experience of discovery and taste and, um, and on, and those things that go with craft beer, but you know, have a, have that night off and achieve some of that balance. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, I, I was a drinker before. I don't, I don't try to preach to people about, their their drinking habits but i can tell from my personal experience that there are a lot of things in my life that are better because i i drink less right i definitely agree having those nights off i find it just so beneficial and i and i i look forward to them because they put everything in perspective so when i do drink i appreciate it because as you can probably imagine if I, and other people who work in the industry i mean i'm just on the peripheral being the media side but if you're working at a brewery you're exposed to this stuff every day and it's, it's sort of, it's pretty hard to, to not have to drink. So it can kind of get like, not even passe about the drinking, but you're just like over it. I'm like, oh, I'm not here again. God damn it. Like it's a, you know, and I found that these nights off where they're having sparkling water or having like a non-alcoholic beer just makes me, when I do drink again, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like, it's, it, it actually has enhanced the flavors. And I, I find that a really good benefit. To, and I always try to preach, preach that a lot as well. Even though you're saying you're not preaching, I find yep. that the, it's so easy, I guess, because you're sort of in this non-alcoholic word. I don't know if you get to see it as much here, but I really, I think there is definitely some people who are overdoing it and don't realize because it's a hobby. Craft beer is a hobby, you know, type of thing. So it doesn't, it's not look like as alcoholic or alcoholism type behaviors. 
when in reality, if you kind of look at it objectively, some the volume that some people are drinking are like a little problematic, and it's you don't they don't maybe even realize because it's just this fun little thing. They just like to have these beers, and the side effect is getting drunk. So this offsets it in a way. I think people don't even maybe appreciate how valuable this this segment is, and maybe that's why it's also gotten uh, more more popular. Yeah, we we had uh, a few years ago. I started getting notes from sales reps from big beer companies saying, "Hey, I you know, and when I'm doing my sales calls, and similar perhaps to you, where they they felt like every call they had to have a beer with the bar manager, or you know, yeah, that up over a day, and they're they're having to drive. It it, it wasn't uh, you know, it wasn't a sustainable, it wasn't a responsible thing mm-hmm. for them to do. So a lot of them would say, "Hey, I I." take your beer around in my trunk and that's what I would drink during my day working and you know kudos to them for for taking that responsible step but um you know that was that was a fun little you know note that they would take the time to tell me hey this is you know this is even for people in beer this is a good thing yeah no I love that man it's super cool um we're gonna try and squeeze as many beers as we can here do you want to move to the next one this beer and water so I think we have the pale ale, the classic, the the world leader right here we're about to do. I'm looking forward to trying right. these again. Like I said, I tried it many, well, a few years ago when my uh, my appreciation was at a different level. So I'm uh, keen. Thank you very much, Ben. Very keen to, to try this again now. I love as well, I love the branding, uh, particularly with the consistency of the, I love, like, you can put them all together, they all look super cool. I've got them all, like, lined up in the fridge to make it easy, and just the, the block colors next to each other is uh, very cool, man. I love it. Um, tell us about the Pale Ale. What, I don't know if you're allowed to say, or like, which hops or anything are in there, or is that all not super discussed? Sorry, I, I misheard the question. Um, are you, uh, tell us, just tell us about the paleo. Tell us uh, how you got the approach for it, and um, you know which hops you used in it. If you're allowed to speak to that, yeah. So we started with the IPA. This was the second the second product. So we kind of said, okay, well, let's dial down the hops quite a bit from the IPA, and we'll kind of have a pale ale. The malt bill is it's a little bit different than than in the IPA, so that. Um, you know, contributes to a slightly different um, color character and, and aroma, but you know the hops are you know there's there's more similarities than differences between that and the IPA and you know Citra Amarillo are are, are prominent there. We also use Cascade hops and a, a few others and in some smaller quantities. So you know some of the typical some of the typical West Coast uh, hops you you you'd find in traditional IPAs. Okay, and love pale it, ales. mate. Cheers. Yeah, it's got a nice fruity nose. Mm. Even on the tape. Yeah, this is great. Wow. Um, we talk about, yeah, orange zest, grapefruit, and a little bit of pine. So it's kind of like definitely like a, a more American slash, you know, West Coast pale ale style. Um, definitely getting all those things. I like, you know, the, the subtle bit of pine, kind of toasty malts, a little bit of that uh, grapefruit pith bitterness in there. Mate, solid. Yeah, it's super interesting. I really appreciate this stuff. So the actual technical side of it, if you want to get into it, I was sort of saying earlier that I've heard from others that there's three main ways to brew non-alcoholic beers. Are you able to sort of maybe describe that and then talk about your specific approach 
here and, and why it works so well? Yeah, so I, I can talk about the, the general um, methods that are used. So, you know, there's, for me, it's, it's a bit of a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum is like full dealk. You, you brew your 5% Budweiser, dealkalize it, it becomes Bud Zero or Bud Prohibition. That's, you know, I think effectively what that product is. On the other end of the spectrum is kind of a more European um, uh, a method used more in Europe, which is called arrested fermentation. And it requires a fair amount of um, process control on your brewery from a, a temperature control. So you will pitch the yeast and begin to ferment your wort, um, but you'll monitor the alcohol production or time such that you know, okay, now we got to turn off the yeast before it you know, overshoots on the alcohol. Right. Um, but you have to have some, some, some pretty good brewery control in order to do that. And so I think what happens is you, you cool mm -hmm. the wort down, it uh, deactivates the yeast, you filter it out. You, t you tend to end up with a, a, perhaps a bit of a sweeter finished product. Um, you know, for us, I think there is a, um, you know, we, we've taken, what we consider the best elements of both those steps and kind of combine them into, you know, I call it a bit of a Frankenstein process, but, you know, it's yielded a great tasting product with, you know, an exceptional uh, calorie profile and, and, a, and a huge consumer uh, response to. So um, I think we put the Frankenstein together in the right way. Love it. I think the third way that I was thinking of is some special yeast that actually only like it stops in and of itself as opposed to monitoring it. Is that a thing or am I maybe mis confusing that with the, the second way you talked about? Yeah, I, I, I've heard some, I've heard of that. I haven't, I, I can't pinpoint a specific beer or brewery that's made with that method, but um, you know, I'd, I'd call that, I'd say that's closer to the arrested fermentation um, so end of the spectrum. It'd be, it'd be a, a variant of that. It would be some kind of variant of arrested fermentation is the way I'd, I'd view that. Okay. And what's the dealkoholizing process about? Like how does, take, take your sip, take your sip. Um, how, does that, uh, how does that actually work? Yeah, so there's a few different methods. Like I think in the past, um, you would remove the alcohol through heat so alcohol okay. boils at a, a lower temperature than water. You'd, you'd, you basically cook the beer, the alcohol would evaporate off and you'd still be left with, with the remainder. The, mm. the downside is that, you know, that heat would Chill effectively spoil a lot of the, the yeah. beer flavors. And so you were left with this, you know, not very good beer tasting product. And I think in many ways that process is what has had led to a, a pretty negative view of what non-alcoholic beer was up until, yeah. you know, the last few years. Um, I think more recently there's been a, a method called spinning cone, which is a somewhat of a gravity separation method that's that's used a bit more, I think, in the non-alk wine space than in beer. And then I think more recently there's been developments in in membrane fil filtration. So you're you're saving the beer from that heat process. You're still able to extract it, but at a molecular molecular level um but then you're left with a sort of a beer syrup that you then have to rehydrate into uh into a hmm. finished product interesting okay 
So it seems like there's a few different sort of process or approaches really that, that people can take. Um, is there one that's like the most common across the board? Because I guess if you were saying yours is kind of like a, a blend of those, the two that you mentioned, what's the most common one? Or, or, and also, which is the one that, like I've seen ones that just straight up say no alcohol and then the other ones say less than 0.05. 0.05 or 0.5, whatever it is. Point, 0.5. 0.5. 0.5. Um, which does which? Yeah, I think to get to zero zero, you have to de-alk. Mm -hmm. um, the arrested fermentation method is where you you are you, you are leaving some of that. You, you're 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 encouraging the beer to have a fermentation character okay. um, through the part through the partial fermentation process. Gotcha. And okay. our view is that is that the fermenta the the flavors developed in fermentation are are valuable. Hmm. Even at That's even awesome. at lower levels. Okay, and the most common of those two across sort of the non-alk sort of spectrum, would you say that you, that you would find? Yeah, by by volume, it would definitely be de-alk because the big guys are making the most volume. Right. Um, by number of facilities or brands, I'd say the yeah, the yeah. other arrested fermentation method okay. because it's cheaper and it's it's easier to uh, to implement at a craft beer scale. Gotcha. And when you were home brewing, which one did you go for? Did you, did you test them all out to see which works? I imagine. Yeah, we we we, tr we tried. Yeah, you know, yeah, we tried both both ends of the spectrum. We tried trying to break down every step of the process and say, okay, is is the DL process better? Is the arrested fermentation better? Better, and then trying to piece it all together. Right. Um, as we as we evaluated each step and the the outcomes from each step. Okay. It was a bit laborious, but uh, I, I think it paid off in the end. Oh, yeah, for sure. So then you were mentioning um, about the States. So you can ship to the States, but do you have a physical presence there as well? Like, were you able to move? Actually, you know what? Even before we get to the States, I just realized we were just talking about Ontario. I know you're based in Calgary now. Um, you obviously spread throughout the country um, via the online store, but were you able to land retail spots um, everywhere you know whether it's supermarkets or specialty beer stores or whatever the equivalent in each province yeah we're we're available in every province and territory in canada right now so um, you know nationwide across loblaws and sobe's network uh we're in metro uh we're in iga and in, in uh, quebec um plenty of independent stores particularly in the quebec liquor market uh ontario with the lcbo and beer store um, Alberta Independent Liquor, BC Liquor in Alberta or in, in British Columbia. So, pretty pretty wide and deep distribution in, in Canada. So, um, pretty pretty amazing that that's happened in all of four years. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, never heard anything like that before. And then moving into the states, um, did you have you got any presence, physical presence there, or is it all just made the the online? Yeah, not on a not on a brewery. Like we we're not manufactured in the U.S. All our all our production is in Canada. It's a hundred percent Canadian made product at this point. We will look to add some U.S. capacity in the next couple of years. Um, we're, you know, generally a big proponent of of let's let's try to be as local as we can to our consumers. So in Western Canada, we added Calgary to say, hey, look, for Western Canadian consumers, your beer is being produced in Western Canada for Eastern. Canada consumers is 
produced in Eastern Canada, and we're we're hoping to replicate that into the states as well. I think locals locals big, and you know we're not going to be across you know at the end of your street local, but we're going to be at least regional in uh, in multiple markets. Um, right. And we do that on the supply chain too, trying to keep all our purchasing in North America and not go overseas for anything, and and uh, and do things that way. Um, to your question, like you know, on a physical retail perspective, we have distributors in I think 24 U.S. states, including California, New York, Illinois, uh, Texas. So you know, all that was done in the last year during COVID, which was which was crazy. Yeah. Uh, all these all these Zoom meetings that got got a lot of deals done. But you know, I think it it goes to show like us being ahead of the market and doing all this work while they're while the market was was still developing and those signals weren't out there for those other players to kind of jump in, um, that's positioned us to kind of take advantage of this this opportunity in the states and they're seeing the growth in in the market and saying who's gonna who's gonna help me capture some of this growth and you know partake is the name at the top of the list. I love that. The I was about to say you you kind of just covered it. I was curious as to how much it helped, like the work that you've done since twenty seventeen and being in market early. Um, you know when you're now approaching Loblaws, Metro, IGA, the American distributors, you, because the name, the brand was so strong at that point. By the time you got to them, and that sort of segment had sort of naturally grown, or for whatever the reasons we discussed earlier. Was it a little easier sell? Because I imagine in 2017, you know, they're going to look at you crazy, like non-alcoholic, like, you know, it's, it's to, to explain. I mean, once you understand, of course, there's a craft version because maybe you don't like that Budweiser one. But, you know, as that group, was that conversation different for you? Yeah, it's it's certainly evolved. Like we're, when you, when you can point to, a large retailer and say in the LCBO where we are, we own 40%, 50% of the non-out category, but we're only 10% of the, the products on the shelf, you know, other retailers take note. So, right. you know, we try to use those, those um, keystone accounts to say, Hey, look, this is what's happening at this major retailer. And this is what happened. This is what's happening at this major retailer. It becomes very data driven okay. at, at big at big retailers and so the more the more you can point to successes in in particularly in their competitors but more broadly in other large players with similar demographics um you know you're you're gonna have a good chance of of getting some uh, some opportunities okay i love that um have you noticed did oh, no sorry did people come to you did, did it kind of turn around and then you had potential distributors or, or you know, companies like Loblaws type of thing end up reaching out to you and you're like, ah, well, done deal. They don't have to do anything. Yeah, there's some of that. Certainly on the US distributor side, we had some guys reach out and say, hey, we, we want to, we're going to work with you. We'll figure out how. And we've made it happen. Um, you know, you still have guys where you, you're pitching them is the dynamic. Um I think on the on the retail side, like now with with retailers we're in, they're often coming to us with like, you know, we want to put your red in, we want to put your ghost in. Can you mm. give us some other variant? So they're coming to us for more product to put on the shelf. Cool. Um, 
I'd say we see that we say we see that more based on our success than retailers coming to us from zero. Mm. Um, you know, if you prove there's a market for your product in their store, they're going to look for more more of your product. Okay, that's interesting. So you've got both sides uh, asking for the variance, whether it's the uh, um, the consumer base that you already have, or you've got the actual retailers themselves being like, "Yo, like." Summer, give me, give me some, give me a sour, give me something light. Oh, it's winter, I'm gonna need a stout or a porter or something. Okay, that's awesome, man. I love that. I mean, that sort of puts you in a real, real good position, like where you're sort of sitting is uh, amazing. Do you have any numbers that you can share as far as the volume that you're producing to give people an idea of maybe, you know, what you produced in say 2017 to maybe what year you're doing this year, just to show that sort of growth because I imagine that the sheer volume alone of servicing the entire country and then 24 states in the US plus the delivery market um, what that's looking like yeah so 2017 we we probably produced I don't know 40 or 50 100 hectoliters like okay. a tiny amount uh, this past year we would have done 30 to 35,000 okay. and then next year we're hoping to do 65,000. Double it, jeez. Where's that growth coming from primarily? Or for say next year where you're expecting, where's that going to be focused on? Yeah, next year, you know, that, that growth number is predicated on those U.S. states and the, and the, and the retail picture in the U.S. starting to pick up. There's a bit of a, you know, we're crossing our fingers and knocking on wood that, uh, you know, COVID will start to subside a bit and, and sort of some of the business will go back to normal, both from a, a retailer perspective, but also, you know, a consumer and human health perspective and, uh, you know, just being able to do some of the things you do as a, as a beer company, outside sampling, beer festivals, those types of things that, that expose, expose consumers to your product. And we think we have a great product with a great value proposition and um, something that people are looking for. So, you know, I think that's going to be a key to to us meeting that uh, that uh, aspiration for next year. Seems pretty likely at this point, the way things are moving. I mean, most things are pretty much, you know, 70, 80% normal, I guess. So that's quite possible. I was going to actually ask then, like, where did you, where, you know, obviously every business was affected in some shape or form from the pandemic, whether positive or negative, but how did it affect the business, that, business like yours when from what we thought going into COVID, I was like, oh, beer companies are screwed. Like, people aren't going to have the money. A lot of people are out of work. They're not going to be drinking. But then they found the legit opposite. Like, the alcohol ended up being prioritized. Uh, and then I think that, like I was saying earlier, the, the other flip side of that is that the non-alcoholic segment grew considerably when people realizing that not moving as much and then putting so, much, so many calories in their guts has uh, resulted in a bit of a problem there. And uh, non-alc sort of helped people deal with that. So, like, what, you know, where did you see sort of growth or drops from from your side? Yeah, we we didn't really start to see that, you know, some of that take place and take shape until six to nine months into the pandemic. I think okay. you're right. Like that first six month period, there was a lot of uncertainty about how it was going to affect, you know. For me, it was my business and my team. For individuals, it was you know their individual jobs and personal financial situations. So I think there was a lot of you know batting down the hatches for the first few months. And yeah, you know, ironically, looking back, like we raised 
a bunch of venture capital money in that first six months, which was just like crazy. Now that I look back at it, yeah. at how difficult and how unique that was to get that over the finish line in a in a situation where even those guys were like they're flush with cash, but you know they were just like so nervous to 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 move it anywhere. So, um, you know, That's it was fair. it was a very interesting time from a from a lot of different different angles. Um, we were fortunate that you know we were able to use some of that investment to shore up our supply chain. I think that as the pandemic went on, the supply chains really got difficult for people that shift mm. from, you know, draft to cans really put a lot of pressure on the can industry. We were fortunate that we were able to keep a four month can supply on hand. So we really built up a, a physical inventory buffer um, to, to kind of, you know, get ourselves through that and, ma- and manage some of that constraint. So you know, I say to people like we had a lot of problems like everyone else during COVID, but most of the problems we could solve, we had the resources to solve or we could, um, you know, or they were good problems like, you know, just giving, trying to get team members more opportunity, trying to figure out how to, you know, keep people engaged over, a, over you know, video. Right. Um, and we had, a, we had an incredible growth. Like we grew our company, uh, you know, more than double in that first year of COVID and then double again in the second year of COVID. So, you know, I can't, I can't complain about our situation because we, we did extremely well. That's awesome, man. I love to hear it. Um, I'm keeping pushing through these beers here. You want to, want to grab the IPA? Yes. Yes. So I'm going to rush to the washroom and whilst all, there'll be like 30 seconds. Do you want to just talk through the beer like talk about the hops and, and everything? I'll be back sure. in two seconds. Thank you. No problem. Getting used to the camera here. So yeah, this is our IPA. It's it's kind of the baby, the uh, my first. Um, yeah, it was conceived in in 2016. The first beer beer we worked on uh on that homebrew system the one we threw out many many batches of and uh you know it it actually has an an interesting story to go with it our our first commercial batch uh was a bit of a disaster and anyone that owns a brewery out there has probably had similar situations but our recipe got transcribed incorrectly onto the brew sheet at our contract brewer and the beer came out far more bitter and far more hoppy and far more hazy than than this beautifully uh clear and bright beer you're seeing here um and i was kind of in a bind i i had pre-sold a bunch of this product through our kickstarter campaign it was already two months late which for anyone that's that's uh, been through a kickstarter two months late is about a year early but still wanted to get the product out to people at the date promised we got this batch that was not to spec and I had to figure out what am I going to do with this? Am I going to send it out? Like they'd never seen the product before. So I could have sent it out and said, this is our IPA and, and no one would have been the wiser, but I decided, Hey, I had to go out and say, this is uh, not what I intended. It came out wrong. That being said, it's perfectly, you know, it's drinkable. It's hazy. It's hoppy. It's super bitter. If you like those styles of beer, happy to send it to you. And, you know, again, back to the community being super supportive. I, I got pretty much half my Kickstarter backers saying, yeah, hit me up with that. 
And so I was able to move half this product. Um, I still have some customers today are saying, hey, when are you bringing back that super hoppy, super hazy IPA, um, which we are planning to bring back now. Um, but we kind of call that our, our, our hoppy accident. So this is the <laughs> revised version. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's very drinkable. It's definitely got that craft IPA punch to it. Um, similar to the pale uses Citra cascade, Amarillo hops and, and some others. And, uh, really has that nice West coast IPA, uh, feel. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Yeah, this is definitely very different to the pale. Uh, different nose. There's definitely more of the pine punch, which is really interesting that you're able to do that because essentially the ABV is the same. You know, obviously if you're dealing with alcoholic beer, the you know a pale ale is whatever four or five percent, IPA is six, seven, eight percent, or whatever. So to be able to make that differentiation is pretty damn cool. Um, there's definitely a lot more of that pine in here, which I'm, and it's almost like that resin, that real West Coast stuff, which I love. That, that's super cool. I love that it was a mistake. So are you going to do, when you do the, the, the hazy one, are you going to make it maybe like a New England IPA where it wouldn't be so pine and, and pine forward and such, and then maybe do that sort of uh, juicy tropical type of vibe? Yeah, I think we're going for a little bit more mm. juicy tropical than than uh, than bitter, but uh, we'll we'll see how it comes out. Still, uh, still coming out of our our R and D team Department. right now, but um, excited it. for that. That's awesome, man! And it's only 10, 10 calories. Wow, that's just so ridiculous. It's amazing. Um, and this one actually says point three percent. I swear the other ones less than point five. Okay, so you got an exact amount on this one. Is, yeah, so I think you've got two cans there. So one is a Canadian label, yeah. and one is a U.S. label. Oh, between the two. How would I know what's what? Is it brewed the same day? Or no, well, the, 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 the one that says less than less than 0 0.5 is U.S., and the one that says 0 0.3 is Canadian. Gotcha. Okay, and that's just a regulation thing? Yeah, just the, the way that... Uh, were required. I, I guess the, the U.S. one wouldn't have any French on it either, and the Canadian one would. That's true. It actually says imported by a uh, in New York. Dope. I love it, man. It's, it's very cool. It's actually super interesting to have. Oh, you got the tasty notes on the American one too, whereas this Canadian one does not. So maybe I got a nice little mix. Is that just because yeah, of space requirements because you need the nutritional label here? Correct. Yeah, we had uh, we have the we have to put the nutritional label on the the Canadian can. In the U.S., we put it on the the carton, the outer carton. Uh, but on the can, we we keep Required, the taste. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. It's so funny how like every place is so different, and, and you gotta sort of bend to those whims. Okay, that's amazing. So you know, being that you are you know like I was about to say potentially, but it's actually literally the OG of uh, non-alcoholic craft beer in Canada. Um, and you've seen it from its inception of literally nothing as far as the craft market's concerned and then, you know, being able to kind of be the, you know, lead the way and, and take it nationally and, and internationally and hopefully beyond. Where do you kind of see it all going at this point? Like being that, you know, you've seen how long it took to kind of get to where it is now and how kind of quick that growth has been. Like, do you think it's going to keep growing? Will it um, plateau? Um, will it drop? I mean, I can't really see that happening. 
Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious where you think uh, this all could go. Yeah, like like early on, before there was there was any market here, right? Like even when I was doing my online store, it was about okay, this is you know I'm solving my own problem. There's other people out there that share the problem. I'll solve that. But you know the bigger picture that kind of drew me in as well was you know you looked at Europe and you know five percent of their total beer market was non-alk in Spain. I think recent numbers I saw was like thirteen or fourteen percent. And when you extrapolate oh. those types of penetration numbers of, of non-alcoholics, so if you extrapolate right. that to the U.S. market, the North American market, you're like, that's a big, that's a big opportunity. Do, are we going to get there next year? No, but is this a ten or fifteen or twenty year growth opportunity that we're just at the beginning of? I think so. And so mm. that was kind of what caught my eye as a like from a business perspective, and then you know add on to that the fact that okay this is this is a meaningful this is very meaningful for me it has a this business has a lot of purpose it's it's helping me you know make people's lives better who can't uh can't drink alcohol but still love craft beer and still love mm. that social connection and all the all the great things that craft beer brought to the beer industry but from a non-alcoholic perspective so mm. you know i've got a lot of motivation to to keep going here and there's always tough, uh, tough things that happen in any business. And, um, you know, we, we seem to be able to get through them because we have this, this clarity of purpose. And, um, you know, I think that's why we're going to be, we're going to be in this, this industry for the long haul and, and hopefully see that day when, you know, we get over 10% of the total beer markets, non alk in, in North America. I love that. And that's including the macro too, right? Like not just of the craft beer market, but the beer market. That's, yeah, yeah, total beer volume. Yeah. Damn, that's massive. Um, I love it. I guess it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, I was going to ask, and I had a good question. I freaking lost it. Um, so the other brands that you're putting out, that was something I did want to touch on as well. Um, when just like you've got the peach goza that you dropped, you've got the lime one that's out now, like what other type of stuff um, can people kind of expect in the coming? I mean, I, I know you probably can't speak to everything, but do you have any other ones that are available now that we hadn't talked about? I know that for the final beer, uh, which we'll do shortly, we've got different ones. So there's something else there, but was there, what other type of stuff can people expect in, uh, from you guys? Yes, we, we launched a Rattler earlier in the year as well. So that's that's something that'll probably come back into a rotation. We're tr we're trying to we're trying to structure those those offerings to come, you know, on a on a bit more of a, a calendar basis, seasonally, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall, we'll have something new come out for people that, that you know, fits with the season. Cool. Um, so, you know, I think I think your your listeners can probably project what some of those might be and and guess, but uh, you know, things you would you would normally expect in those seasons to come out. We'll try to we'll try to do those in, yeah. in a non-out format. You know, we we take a lot of inspiration and uh, you know and and uh, guidance from from craft beer, um, and so we we try to just like we don't have to invent the trends. We just see you know what what do consumers consumers like, and then try to try to offer it in a non-out format. So in some ways we we created something new by going non-out, but in, you know, a lot of the guideposts were, were laid out by, you know, the pioneers and craft beer before us. So, Same. you know, we, 
we we we're, that's not lost on us that uh, you know we're we're building on the shoulders of uh, a lot of people that came before us. That's awesome, man. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense. And you know, I guess that's what people would really want if you really think about it. Like, not alcoholic. If I could get like a fall right now, an Oktoberfest uh, dunkel or pumpkin beer or something that's not alcoholic. I mean, that would be that'd be awesome. That'd be just like super. Like just keeps it fun. I think it keeps it interesting because I guess if craft beer drinkers just because they're drinking, excuse me, not alcoholic beer, doesn't mean that they want it to be interesting. They don't want something new. Like you're not going to just sit there and just only drink the blonde forever. Some might, but for the types of drinkers and the way that craft beer drinkers uh, participate and, and what they typically like is there are, and, and like you were saying, the retailers want it because I imagine that the consumers are asking. They always want something new. So they're like, hey, what's next? What else you got? What else you got? And uh, I think that's really dope that you have these like the core range, which is, you know, standard type of stuff you could expect but also fun like i really don't think i've ever heard of like a peach goza or anything like that in an in a format which is super fun i think it just keep keeps it it must keep it interesting for you too like because otherwise you just do i mean i know you're physically not brewing or anything but like it's just you know there's always something you to talk about that gives the distributors something beyond just that and that would reinvigorate interest in the flagship brands uh if you know you bring something else i mean it's probably pretty rare that they'll just pick up one or two cans or something like when you're selling in the multi-pack like oh let me get a couple of these uh peach goes let's go I'll, I'll grab a 12 pack of the other one or whatever that i like so it's uh i don't know it sounds like a really cool way to approach it man. i never heard of that before yeah and you know it, it on a personal level it keeps me interested too like i'm a i'm a consumer first and so part of it is like what do i want what do i want as a seasonal this this spring or or this fall and and try to project like i i know my taste is not uh doesn't necessarily translate to everybody but you know i, I have a fairly um i would say average um taste profile and so you know we're, we're trying to position our beer not as it's certainly not average from a taste and calorie and value proposition but we wanted to make it super accessible um and you can see that in our branding it's very accessible um, you know, we have a great mix, uh, almost a 50-50 split of men and women who, who uh, buy our beer. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have this old, old school beer, beer club feel to it. It has a very fresh and inviting quality. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's part of what we're after and part of our message is, you know, we want to we be inclusive. We've, I personally felt not included in beer for many years and I think this is a way to bring people back into into the craft beer fold mm. um you know if they choose not to drink alcohol or if they choose to just not drink on a, a given night no i love that as well i feel like it could actually you might have i never thought about it this way but you could potentially have the like people who consume non-alcoholic beer who do drink beer but maybe they hadn't even really gone into craft beer yet so you could actually be the gateway for people to move into craft beer because they discovered craft beer through your wide range of quality non-alcoholic products. They're like, hey, this is so much better than the bullshit I was drinking, the, the macros or whatever. And they're like, hey, what's this craft beer? Because I think sometimes craft beer has a bad name or a bit of a bad rep. Um, people don't understand it. They think all IPAs are bitter and gross and, and all that you know, nonsense. But potential, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but potentially that's what, you know, people can actually 
come in through your stuff and just be like, hey, these, these are all great. Like, all right, well, let me see what this craft beer thing is about. Have you, have you seen any anecdotal evidence or any proof of that at all? I'm pulling that out of my ass right now, but. Yeah, no, no, I haven't seen that yet. But I, I think, you know, if you project that, you know, that market size that, you know, we're hoping for of 10 plus percent, I think you're going to, you know, that, that type of two-way street is possible of people who discover beer through the alcoholic side or through non-alcoholic side. There's going to be much more cross-pollination between those two, those two categories. I love it. It makes so much sense. Um, I'm pouring the final beer, the stout here. I was just going to get the photo while you were talking to pass that to Tiff here, which is this bad boy. Loving it. This is probably the one style I would say I had the least in a non-alcoholic format. I, I actually don't know. I might have a European one, maybe, recently. But I feel like it's a, a, a much less common one. And you have a totally different thing than I do. Is that the Radler? This is the Rattler. Hey, nice. Can I ask you a question about that? So on these cans, this is essentially a, a printed can top to bottom. But what you've got on that one is the label stuck on there. And what I noticed with craft beer, uh, like alcoholic beer, is that they would have their flagship saying a printed can like this, and they would have the sticker on the special releases. Was that intentional, or is that just because it's special release and you're testing it out and you just didn't want to order 8 trillion cans that are printed? Thanks, baby. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Gotcha. Um, no, that's uh, that's awesome. Um I still think there's like, there's like a signifier with that for me, though. I really think that it's super cool that, you know, I don't know. I never thought about like non-alcoholic beer and been able to get like, oh, this is a brand new one because look, it's got a sticker on it. Like, I don't know. There's like something that it helps identify the different stuff. I don't know. There's something something to that in the craft beer world, at least anyway. And once again, it's not, not something I ever really considered from a non-alcoholic side, which is cool. Yeah. I really, like I... You know, it allows us to do these small batches in a, you know, in a, in an economic way. Um, but I really love the tactile nature of mm. the of the sticker. It just has this great yeah. feel to it. Yeah, I'm I'm all on board with them. Um, tell us about both of these beers. I mean, I got the stout here. Um, this is great, man. It's uh, the nose. I can't put my finger on what it is. It's kind of chocolatey, but kind of like leathery, which is uh, um something you find in stouts a bunch and it's but on the in the mouth it's just straight like chocolatey stout goodness creamy yeah it's a it's a go-to for me in in those uh like cold it. winter months that uh feels like you get a little little bit of warmth out of a, a cold beer yeah right no this is fantastic man um definitely balances it out it's a it's an interesting i think this is almost like a tougher one arguably probably one of the toughest to make the color because you have to use x amount of malt i guess to to get the color the color but then if you use too much then it'll be too you know, too much alcohol etc so it probably can't be too easy yeah all, like all our beers i would say like the the challenge in making a, a good non-alcoholic beer is it's it's very delicate and it doesn't hide faults easily in in right. a higher abv beer you can hide faults behind alcohol or big hop bills or or some other other things, but in our beers, there's nowhere to hide. Like yeah, yeah. if it's, if it's, if it's not bang on, it's, uh, it's, 
you know, it, it's not going to be very good. So that's that's our largest challenge as a as a commercial producer is is getting that that uh, precision and consistency in our beers, which which is not easy. And it's mm-hmm. it's I think harder than making a good non-alc beer. I think is harder than making um, a good alcoholic beer. And um, yeah, and it's it's something that we've been working at for quite a few years and honed in on. But uh, you know, some of those early batches had a bit more variance let's say right good i've had uh, breweries tell me exactly that you know breweries that uh, have only you know got their one non-alcoholic beer and they said they put the same amount of money of ingredients same time energy effort into making this thing with no alcohol then they do that they're eight percent double ipa so definitely uh, on the level with that and then the radler what is there a fruit or anything in that particular one it looked like it was kind of orange at the top from memory yeah it's, it's got a um a mix of fruit so it's got uh it's made with cold pressed juices and those are grapefruit orange and lemon dope awesome nice summery refreshing love it yeah it's it's funny it's like i i look at it and i think this is a great opportunity for non-alc beer is is like i look i look at the rattler and i say oh that you know it, it tastes you know it has some sweetness to it from the juice it's got decent body it's effervescent um, it looks nice in a glass, refreshing, you know, and if I put that against a soda and I look at the calorie count and the ingredients and I say, this is a, a you know, far and above a much healthier beverage to drink mm. than a soda. And, you know, my Crazy. kids drink the Rattler all the time and they, they love it. And I'm perfectly happy, not just cause I make it, but you know, because of that, because of like what's in it, um, you know, I think yeah. there's room for non-alc beer to move into to some of the soda category and say, hey, there's there's some great tasting non-alc beers that have some very attractive flavors, not not bitter beer flavors, but maybe, you know, uh, perhaps a little bit sweeter, um, but still having low calories and natural ingredients and all these other, you know, generally good things rather than bad things. I think there's there's opportunity to to take some market share from sodas and and uh, you know, expand who our customers are. I think North America is maybe a little bit behind Europe in 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 having that conversation, but I think that's uh, that's a potential uh, conversation for down the road with uh, with consumers and with our audience. Hmm. Didn't consider that. That's awesome. I never thought about being as no alcohol in it, and there's no sugar really, or hardly any sugar, so that it is technically significantly better than a soda for kids. Um, I wonder if there's any, like, I'm sure people would probably object to giving even a non-alcoholic beer to kids, but the actual on paper, that makes so much I, sense. I, yeah, early early on when I was running my social media, which I, thankfully for everybody's sake, I'm not anymore, <laughs> but uh, uh, I did post a, a picture of, like, one of my kids just took took one of the beers and, you know, started drinking it, and I took a picture and put it on Instagram, and, yes, it had... Uh, Definitely yeah. had some people that approved, but definitely a few people uh, were giving me some parenting advice. So <laughs> maybe we're not ready for that quite. Not, not ready quite. for that quite yet. Not as progressive as Europe, I guess. That would explain. Someone told me that the I forgot the brand Omnipolo's one is like their biggest selling brand. Period. Uh, out of there, and I imagine maybe because there's that interest from the soda side as a soda replacement, whether it's for minors or people of age. So that's. Uh, I think that's a really good point, and that's going to be something to watch as well, to tap into that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
Man, was there anything else we wanted to cover? I feel like we're hitting about the hour and a half mark here, which is what we're aiming for. Um, we've gone through the five, technically seven beers with your different stuff. This has been really cool to have them all sort of back to back and hear you sort of talk about them all. They're all very different. Uh, they all scratch very different itches, which I, I very much appreciate. Um, yeah, man, was there anything else that we wanted to, to touch on or we, we basically got it? Yeah, I'd say just, you know, the, you know, just just so, you know, your listeners in the U.S., you know, know where to find us. Uh, obviously, Please. online, drinkpartake.com or, or .ca in Canada. And then, you know, on the U.S. retail side, we talked about Canada, but on the U.S. side, Total Wine & More has been a fantastic partner for us. They're across 20-plus states, uh, major retailer in the Liquor Channel. Wegmans has been a phenomenal partner for us in the U.S. Northeast um we're in ralph's in california so lots of uh lots of places to get our product but uh still early days in the u.s compared to the the size of the opportunity there and we're just uh every day it seems adding adding new stores and new locations and and new fans i love it that's amazing where can uh everyone find you online specifically so aside from drinkpartake.com and .ca the social is also drinkpartake i imagine yeah, I think we're Partake Brewing on Instagram and Drink Partake on Facebook. And then I'm on LinkedIn. That's the channel that I use on a personal level. So look me up, Ted Fleming on LinkedIn. And uh, always happy to connect uh, with other with other beer fans and entrepreneurs out there. Love it. That makes me happy. Um, let's get the thumbnail. i got to do it while we're live. So I'm just going to take a screenshot. Do you want to hold up uh, a couple cans and uh, make that look pretty? For everybody, then we'll wrap her up, and then we'll finish uh, offline. To get that hold three in me. There we go. Can I do it? Can I do it? There you go. Boom, boom. Here we go. Go. Oh, it's been a while. There we go. Gorgeous, stunning. Um, yes, yeah, stay on the line, Ted. I'm just going to wrap this up, and then we'll uh, we'll finish offline there. So everyone, thank you so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, and hit the notification bell so you know when the new drops. We drop brand new episodes every Wednesday. Uh, follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast and check out the long form audio, like I said. Every Wednesday we drop in. Um, mate, thanks again, Ted. Appreciate your time. Guys, drink safely, responsibly. Very important. And we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.